Volume four, chapter nine of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume four, chapter nine. By the break of day the following morning, Willoughby had left his rustic couch, and joining his host and his family, partook of their simple meal. He felt some concern on reflecting on the panic poor Farnham must have been in when the guide returned without him to the place of rendezvous the preceding evening. He expressed his uneasiness on this head to La Laurier who said he knew the place described perfectly, and would immediately send thither the son of a neighboring shepherd, who was then employed about his cottage, and bring his servant and the guide to him. In the meantime he proposed to shrew Willoughby the chateau of his master, a proposal which his guest readily accepted. Louison, however, on their being about to depart, had, in her very expressive face, a look of concern, and in her manner an appearance of inquietude, for which Willoughby wished to account. He was not long in left in suspense. She took her husband's hand and said, My friend, you will not leave me long. No, simpleton, replied he, and then turning to Willoughby, he gaily exclaimed, Here is a woman who is afraid of trusting her husband to go half a mile. Ah, oh, monsieur, said Lausanne, you would not blame me if you knew how he once left me. He went away only for a few days, and he stayed nearly three years. But not voluntarily, indeed, answered Le Laurier. I met my master, my dear master, who had been so kind to me, in prison, in distress, in a state of mind bordering on insanity, and I could not leave him. I do not blame you for that, my friend, said Louison, but I own I am afraid of its happening again. How happened again? The Chevalier, or rather the Count, my master, is not now as he was then. Ah, no, but you have owned yourself that he is restless and unhappy, and though he appears at times delighted with being restored to his liberty, his estate, and his daughter, yet at times his mind is unsettled, and his schemes wild and uncertain, and if he sh should take it into his head to travel again, you fear that I may be tempted to travel with him. Yes, said his wife, indeed I do. Le Laurier then tried to laugh away her apprehensions, and they left her, while Willoughby felt his dialogue give new force to the curiosity he had to see the Count de Bellegarde. As their way was down through the woody side of the mountain, they soon reached the domain of the chateau, in which the first object that struck Willoughby, in a spot which once had been cleared of trees, 
but where the underwood and a smaller growth of wood again almost concealed it was a pavilion which had once been magnificent but was now in ruins it was built of various colored marbles found in the pyrenes was of grecian architecture and seemed to have been a work of taste the pillars of the portico though broken yet supported its roof and behind it were three apartments that had once been richly furnished one as a banqueting room the other two as rooms for the siesta which is usually taken here in as in spain canopies of yellow damask were fallen and the hangings of the rooms devoured by the moths and decayed by the damps from the windows which having never been glazed the shutters had long since dropped down there was something particularly melancholy to the mind of willoughby in contemplating this building once the seat of gaiety splendor and luxurious repose thus deserted and he inquired of le laurier if the present count never intended to repair it sir replied he my lord the count has hardly the time to think about that yet for he has been so little a while at his castle that everything there remains as it was ruinous enough but as for this pavilion I question if ever it will be put in order, though my lord has such an odd sort of liking to it that the moment almost he got home he came down to look at it. It was quite late in the evening, but it was not dark, and he looked in at the window, for that night I could not open the door, the key was lost, and the locks were all rusty, and by what he said I am sure there is some story belongs to this place. The people of the castle, indeed, always had a notion of its being haunted ever since the death of my lord's sister, whose heart, they say, was broke by her father's ill-usage. Certain it is that the old count caused this place to be shut up, and took away the fine glasses and pictures that were in it once but what you fee now he left to fall to pieces there used to be large trees all around it and all manner of flowers and the stream that now almost stagnates among these reeds and rushes and with difficulty finds its way to the moat of the castle was then brought into a bath behind the banqueting house and into a basin which is now grown over with weeds and grass so it can hardly be traced willoughby left this desolate spot with a sigh as his companion led him through the obscure paths of the woods that surrounded it he inquired whether the castle itself had equally suffered from time oh yes sir replied le laurier from time and from war too it was formerly a place of great strength and of great importance as a pass into france from the spanish side of the pyrenees and held out a long siege 
when the famous count of Belgarde, my lord's ancestor, defended it for Henry the Fourth, our king, against the army of the League. Perhaps, said Willoughby, your lord may not like the intrusion of a stranger into his retirement. Oh, replied his conductor, we may not happen to meet him, or if we should, it will be a sufficient introduction and recommendation for you, sir, that you are an Englishman, for he loves the English. Encouraged by this assurance, Willoughby proceeded, and in a few moments the woods ascending a little, as they reached the extreme base of the mountain, opened into what could only be called a plain, where opposed to the surrounding hills, for the ground was rugged and uneven, scattered with masses of ruined buildings that had formerly been part of the outward fortifications, but of which some were fallen into the fosse, and others overgrown with alder, ash, and arbeal. The gate of the castle, and all beyond the moat, however, was yet entire, as were the walls within the circumference, bearing everywhere the marks of great antiquity, but of such ponderous strength as time alone had not been able to destroy. Where breaches had been made by cannon, the walls had been repaired, but this work being of less durability than the original structure had gone to decay, and the depredations of war were still very visible. The whole was composed of grey stone. The towers at each end rose in frowning grandeur above the rest of the building, and having only loops and no windows, impressed ideas of darkness and imprisonment, while the moss and wallflowers filled the interstices of the broken stones, and an infinite number of birds made their nests among the shattered cornices and half-fallen battements, filling the air with their shrill cries. Over the moat, which was broad and deep, but now only half full of water, which was almost hidden by aquatic plants, sheltering several sorts of water-fowls that now lived there unmolested, a drawbridge, with massive chains, led to the gate of the first court, under a high arc gateway, defended by a double portcullis. This court was where the castle guard were, used to parade, it was spacious, and the buildings that surrounded it were gloomily magnificent, but now no warlike footsteps wore away the grass which grew over the pavement. No martial music echoed among the arches and colonnades. One solitary figure alone appeared slowly walking with his arms crossed on the terrace that led to the second court. There is my lord, the Count said le laurier speak to him then replied willoughby and apologize for my intrusion le laurier advanced with his hat in his hand and at the same moment the count who then first perceived him and willoughby came towards them his military air and dignified figure 
were tempered by the mild and courteous manner with which he moved forward to receive the stranger whom le laurier announced to him he was greatly above the common height thin and a little bent as if from depression of spirit but his face pale sallow and emaciated as it was was marked with such peculiar expression that all the adventures of his life seemed to have been written there when he spoke his dark eyes were full of fire and vivacity yet at times they were wild and at others heavy and glazed his brows were a little contracted and hollowness about his temples and cheeks and the strong muscular lines of his whole face seemed to bear the harsh impressions of the hand of adversity rather than of time for though his hair was gray and he looked much older than he really was willoughby did not think of him above four or five and forty at his breast was the cross of the order of saint esprit and his dress that of a captain of cavalry was not modern and apparently neglected his whole appearance instantly announced him to be a man of high rank if willoughby was pleased with his manner and address he seemed equally or even more gratified by the curiosity expressed by an englishman to visit him you see me here sir said he released only a few weeks ago from a long imprisonment wondering at my freedom and a stranger in my own house to those only who have been the victims of despotism it would be easy to comprehend my sensations on such a sudden emancipation and the triumph with which i reflect that i owe it to the same noble efforts which have given liberty to france to my country ah continued he pausing and losing at once all the vivacity with which he had a moment before spoken ah what sensations of concern are mingled with this exultation i regain my freedom but where shall i regain my happiness he now fell into a deep musing which lasted only a moment while willoughby walked by his side on the terrace then suddenly awakened from it he cried but it is too soon to trouble you with this sort of conversation we shall have time enough for i flatter myself sir with a hope of your staying with me as long as you remain in this country you must have no other home if you know the pleasure i have in conversing with the english he paused again as if forgetting what he meant to say and then added i will introduce you to my daughter to my little anzoletta for i have saved her that one little gem is restored to me in all its lustre amid the wreck of everything else that was dear to me we will find her now he then entered through another arched way the second court of the castle and willoughby accompanied him in silence while the laurier with his hat in his hand followed as the count bade him they entered an immense hall barbarously magnificent 
it was roofed with beams of oak and the sides covered with standards and trophies of armor the perishable parts of which, which were dropping to pieces the narrow gothic windows were filled not with glass that emitted the light but with glass painted with the achievements of the family mingled with the heads of saints and martyrs whose names were now nowhere to be found but in the archives of the neighboring convent but in contemplating the innumerable coats of arms that were blazoned on the windows and on the banner that hung in faded majesty between them willoughby could not help recollecting what food they would afford for the favorite speculations of his uncle and his thoughts dwelt a moment on the scene that might have passed in consequence of his absence in the family of castlenorth these reflections however he had neither inclination nor time to indulge for the count ascending a broad but steep staircase of stone that led out of the hall and wound within one of the turrets entered a gallery and at the end of it was his daughter's apartment the door of which was open and willoughby was immediately introduced to a young person who sat before a frame working on a piece of embroidery a woman between fifty and sixty who seemed to be a kind of governess was with her willoughby was pleased by the graceful simplicity of her figure and the beauty of her face but when she spoke in answer to the compliment he made her this pleasure was converted into amazement he fancied he heard the voice of celestina so striking did its tones resemble those to which his heart had been always trembling responsive that had he not seen who spoke he should not have doubled doubted it of being celestina herself he started and felt the blood rush into his cheeks nor could he immediately recollect himself enough to repay to what anzoletta said and again called forth those sounds to which the second time she spoke he listened with increased astonishment and more painful delight for not only the similarity of the voice not only the similarity of her voice to that of celestina was more evident but he saw a resemblance to her in the air and manner of anzoletta that assisted the delusion anzoletta seemed to be about the age of celestina but her figure was less her hair and eyes much darker nor had she that dazzling and radiant complexion which made it always difficult to believe of celestina that she was a native of the south of europe the features of anzoletta were perhaps more regular and were not turned like celestina so that the resemblance consisted in that sort air of family consisted in that sort of air of family which we sometimes observe among relations a kind of flying lightness which we now detect and now lose the count seemed highly gratified by the notice of willoughby took of his daughter to whom he now spoke and bade her prepare herself for dinner for that his guest would was to remain with them 
he then led willoughby back to the room where he usually sat himself and as they went he said is not my anzaletta charming she is indeed replied willoughby perhaps added the count perhaps you would not believe that she is the child of the daughter of a man of inferior rank one of my father's vassals is she not your daughter my lord inquired willoughby yes replied the count she is my legitimate daughter and as such i glory to acknowledge her but her mother was rolarier and to my marrying her she owed all her misfortunes and i many of mine but if you ever think it worth while to hear the incidents of a life that has i think been marked with some similar occurrences i shall have a melancholy pleasure in relating them nothing would oblige me so much said willoughby whose curiosity had been every instant increasing especially since he had seen anzaletta may i till i can be so gratified inquired where is the mother of your lovely daughter yes replied the count and you will hear a fresh instance of the barbarous policy which despotism encourages and protects her mother she was compelled by my father the last count of belgrade to enter into a convent of carmelites at bayonne and there to take the vows she was my wife by the law of god and man but i was absent with my regiment i was unable to protect her and the power of the governor of the province and of an enraged and tyrannic father were united to tear her from me would to heaven we have been the only victims but there was yet another another who is gone whence there is no return here he fell into one of those fits of silent musing to which willoughby had even during their short acquaintance observed him to be subject it lasted however only a moment and then recovering from it he clasped his hands eagerly together and cried with energy but for my wife my jacquelina thanks to the generous glorious spirit of my country i shall retrieve her she yet lives i have seen her through the iron bars of her cloister i have spoke to her i have in my bosom a handkerchief which she gave me bathed in her tears she told me where to find our child our little anzaletta and i go to paris to demand and obtain her liberty to claim her as my wife and to be enabled to bring her hither to a husband who changed as she is by consignment and affection she still adores her to her daughter whose early excellence promises to reward us both for many many years of separation and sorrow the eyes of the count were filled with tears as he ceased speaking and willoughby whose heart was as tender as it was manly was deeply affected heaven grant you all your wishes sir cried he and that your private happiness may be one of the innumerable blessings attending on public felicity 
the count wrung his hands and cried with yet increased vivacity it will it will my friend there was in his manner a something bordering on wildness as he continued this discourse which willoughby remarked with some concern he was not therefore sorry when it was interrupted by the entrance of la Laurier, who told him that the messenger he had dispatched had found his servant and the guide and relieving them from their fears for his safety which had been cruelly severe upon poor farnham had brought them both to the castle whither his wife had directed them willoughby had been under a good deal of concern for farnham who he knew must have been dreadfully alarmed for the safety of his master his arrival therefore was particularly welcome and he was glad to change his clothes for which purpose he now begged leave to retire the court ordered the laurier to shrew them to an apartment and to take care he had every accommodation he desired willoughby as he marched gravely along through the long galleries and across the gloomy hall fancied himself a knight of romance and that some of the stories of enchanted castles and wandering adventures of which he had been so fond in his early youth were here realized end of volume four chapter nine recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver B.C.